It's such a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you guys uh, today. When my wife and I moved uh, up to Grand Rapids from Wichita two years ago, we were very involved with Kirk of the Plains, uh, but at that point, Kirk of the Plains was really uh, a Bible study looking to become a church. We were meeting you know, once a month for worship services, but we had no building. Uh, we had a very small core group. There was no regular worship services and things. And so to come back here now two years later and see what God has done and how He has provided and the, the people He has brought is such an encouragement. And uh, we're so grateful that we had the chance to be the first, although not the last, I'm sure, uh, intern family here at Kirk of the Plains. And one of the great privileges of that is that we get to open the Word of God with you. So I invite you to turn to Ephesians 5 if you're not there already. Uh, we've already read our passage this morning, so let me just open us with a word of prayer as we begin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for the day that you have provided. We thank you for a break in the rain and a bit of sunshine as well. We do pray uh, for those who are not able to be here today for, for travel or weather reasons. But Lord, I pray for every person in this room that you would open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to all that you have for us in your word today. We pray that as we consider your command to walk as children of light, that we would not let those words just go in one ear and out the other, but that they would press themselves deep into our hearts and reshape and refashion the way that we live our, our lives, even this week. I pray that you would give me grace, Lord. We know that we are frail and fallen creatures. But speak through me, I pray, your word. Let me speak in a way that would be clear, that would be Christ-centered, and that would be compelling. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, kids, as we begin, I want to start by asking you a question. Do you remember, what are the very first words that were ever spoken in our world? What were the first words in the world? If you think back, you'll remember, oh good, we've got some hands, some people remember. The first person to speak was God, right? And the first words he spoke are told us in Genesis chapter 1, where he says, let there be light. Let there be light. And there was light, it says. And that language of light isn't only used in Genesis 1. It's used all through the Bible. Almost 300 times in the Scriptures we see light mentioned. So when God delivered His people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt, how did He lead them in the wilderness? Well, He was a pillar of, of cloud to lead them by day and a pillar of fire, it says, to, to lead them by light during the night. Later in Israel's history, Israel is called themselves to be a light to the nations. In the New Testament, Christ is described as the light that has come into the world, and Christians, us as His followers, are called to be salt and light. So we should not be surprised as we look at our passage today to see Paul using this same language and telling us as Christians to walk as children of light. Christians are commanded to be children of light. But if we're familiar with these passages, if you've grown up in the church or you've studied the Bible, because this language is so common and used so frequently, it can sometimes lose some of its effect. It doesn't strike us the way that it should. And so as we read this command, walk as children of light, we need to slow down. We need to think carefully. We need to understand what it is that Christ is saying, how it is that we are to follow these commands, and why it is that Christ calls us to walk as children of light. 
So we want to, to meditate really on that command, walk as children of light. We want to answer three questions together today. First, we want to understand what is it that Christ is commanding us to do when He tells us to walk as children of light. What is Christ commanding? Secondly, we want to understand how to obey that command. What would it look like for us as a church, for this as a body, to walk as children of light? And then finally, why is it that Christ commands us to walk as children of light? So those three questions will shape our time together today. What, how, and why? Well, as we consider what Christ is commanding us to do when He says, walk as children of light, we really see this uh, addressed in verses 7 and 8. Paul says, Therefore, do not associate with them. And the them he's talking about, as you'll know from our reading earlier, are, are the sons of disobedience. He's talked about those who are unbelievers, those who are non-Christians, those who walk in deeds of darkness. And he calls them sons of disobedience who are even now facing the wrath of God. And Paul says, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, what does this command mean to walk as children of light? Well, we have to first understand what it does not mean. It does not mean that, that Paul is, is calling us to walk as children of light because he's preaching some sort of works righteousness. Uh, it's very natural for us as human beings to, to think that uh, we become right with God because of what we do. And so whenever we re read a command like walk as children of light, our brains sort of say, okay, he's telling us to do this so that we can become right with God. We become children of light by walking as children of light. And Paul would say, no, 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 you've, you've got the order wrong there. Remember that the same Paul who wrote chapter 5, verse 8, is the Paul who wrote chapter 2, verse 8. And you'll remember from Ephesians 2, 8, as you've worked through this passage and worked through this book as a congregation, that Paul tells us how we're saved in chapter 2. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see how Paul shows us the right order here. We receive salvation by faith, by grace, in Christ, as God's gift. So then why, what is this walking in light? What are these works that he's calling us to do? Well, he says in verse 10 of chapter 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. That's where our walk fits in to this picture. We're called to walk a certain way because of the gospel and the grace that we have received. We are not saved by works, we are saved to works. That's the first thing we must keep in mind. Paul is not preaching works righteousness. He's not switching to a different gospel. Neither is Paul preaching some sort of idea of sinless perfection. If you read these words, you'll see that Paul is very strongly pressing in the need that we have as Christians to be different from the world. And it might be easy to think that when Paul says, do not associate with the sons of darkness in verse 7, or when he says in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, that, that Paul thinks that we as Christians um, are able to somehow live a life that's completely disconnected from the world. You could hear him as saying that if we are children of light, then there will be no darkness in us whatsoever. 
But again, that's a, a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying. Paul recognizes the depth of our sin. He recognizes the reality of what life in this world looks like for Christians. Yes, we look for holiness. Yes, we long to live as children who walk in the light in every area of life, and yet we will fall short. I think we see that really clearly in uh, what would be a parallel passage, and we read part of it at the Confession of Sin, 1 John chapter 1. John, the apostle, loves this imagery of light. He uses it all throughout his gospel, all throughout his epistles, through the book of Revelation. And in 1 John chapter 1, he says, This is the message we have heard from you and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. Now we can press pause there and think, okay, I'm looking at John, I'm looking at Paul. It, it kind of seems like there's this expectation that a Christian is going to have nothing to do with darkness, is going to be only light all the time. Therefore, if I'm a Christian, I should expect a sinless perfection in this life. But John doesn't stop there. He says in verse 8, right after stressing the, the importance of having nothing to do with darkness, having nothing to do with sin, he then goes on to say, but, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Now this is a rich passage, there's a lot we could say about that, but just see the point that John is making, and it's one that, J that Paul makes as well. Um, we will still have sin in this life. Even as we are called to walk as children of light, we, ha we need that command in part because we are drawn into darkness constantly. Not just by the world, not just by things out there, but by our own hearts by our own desires. We're constantly wrestling with this. What separates a child of light from a child of darkness, in part, is what you do with that sin when it comes. And for the believer, as John says, we are to confess that sin. We are to take that sin to Christ, knowing that He will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when Christ says, walk as children of light, He's not preaching works righteousness. He's not teaching sinless perfection. So what is He saying? Well, really... To walk as children of light means that, that our old allegiance to darkness has been replaced by a new allegiance to Christ, who is the light. Look at verse 8. Paul is uh, describing our situation as Christians. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. This is really strong language. John MacArthur makes the point that in other places, Scripture will talk about people being in the darkness or being of the darkness, but here Paul just says, you were darkness. That's how dark, how sinful, how wicked our lives are outside of Christ. But then there is this great change. In the Greek it just says, but now light. You were darkness, but now light in the Lord. And because there has been this change in our nature, because there's been this change in our status, our relationship with God, we are now called to live 
as children of light. In many ways, this command is just part unpacking of what Paul says in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the big idea that Paul is pressing in in chapter 5. And he teaches us what it looks like to imitate God by saying, walk in love, verse 2. Walk in light, verse 8. Walk in wisdom, verse 15. And so Paul is calling us to live differently because of the salvation that we are, have received. He's saying that if you are a child of God, then you should look like a child of God. You know, if someone were to walk into this church and see kids running around after the service, they may be able to say, oh, that's a Waukes, or that's a Johnson. They, they look like their mom. They look like their dad. They, oh, those, you can tell those two are sisters. Because there's a family resemblance there. And Paul is saying that something like that should be true of us with God as well. If He has adopted us uh, and made us His children, people should be able to look at us and see something of God. We should look like our Father. They should look at us and say, oh, that, He looks like His older brother, Jesus Christ. The same love, the same patience, the same kindness, the same boldness should be true in us as we see in Christ and in God. And so this command to walk in the light is to walk as God Himself does, to walk as Christ Himself did. But how do we do that? How can we be anything like Jesus Christ? How do we obey this command? Well, that's the second thing we want to look at today. And I think Paul begins to describe for us what it means to obey this command, to walk as children of light, in verses 9 through 12. Paul gives the command, walk as children of light, and then he has a kind of parenthetical statement where he describes what this light looks like, what it means. He says in verse 9, For the fruit of light is found in, in all that is good and right and true. And then he gives another command, walk as children of light, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Now, there's a lot here in this passage, and, and even as we look at the Bible as a whole, there's a lot we could say about what it means to, to imitate God, to walk as children of light. But I think we can bring um, a lot of this together under two general headings. Paul wants us to see that, that, that we obey this command to walk as children of light by embracing the fruit of light and by exposing the unfruitful darkness. We embrace the light, we expose the darkness. Now what is the fruit of light that we're called to embrace, to cultivate, to, to manifest in our life? Well, Paul describes it in verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Paul gives us a list here of things that are fruit of light. Now we have to understand the, the words that Paul chooses to use here because sometimes he will, in other, other letters for example, he'll, he'll talk about you know, the fruit of the Spirit or, or definitions of love or, or the armor of God as we'll see even uh, in the next chapter. And he'll give very specific lists of tangible virtues or practices or characteristics that we should cultivate as Christians. That's not what he's doing here. These terms, good and right and true, are big terms. They're broad terms. They, they encompass whole areas of life. And I think part of why Paul takes that approach is because he, he wants us to avoid a kind of checklist mentality. And again, our natural 
hardwiring hard is to, 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 to look at these kinds of commands, walk as children of light, and say, okay, if I've been living this way, I need to just kind of modify life a little bit, tweak things. So maybe I, I don't really go to church very often, and so I say, now I'm going to be at worship every Sunday. Now I'm walking as a child of light. Or maybe you say, you know, I come to church, but I, I'm really not very consistent in prayer or in devotion, so I just need to kind of tweak my life a little bit, be really intentional about devotions. Now I'm walking as a child of light. I have a tendency to lose my temper. I'm going to really work hard to be patient. If I can just get that patience, I'll be walking as a child of light. And Paul says, each of those things are good. Each of those things can even be necessary. We are to imitate God. We are to obey His Word. And yet, none of them on their own is what makes us a child of light. What makes us children of light is when our lives reflect God Himself. And that means everything in our life. All that is good, all that is right, all that is true should be found in us. So it's not less than coming to church. It's not less than cultivating patience. It's not less than seeking out communion with God. But it is all those things and more. The word good, for example, this is a, a term that's unique to the Bible. The, the other pagan Greeks did not use this term. And it really points to anything that is pure, anything that is lovely, anything that is, that is as it should be. The, the picture of this word goodness is, is a life perfectly conformed to the love and character of God. Really, it's unpacking that command, walk in love, that we see in verse 2. The word right, it's the same word we, we use for, for righteousness and justice. and It's the idea of a life perfectly conformed to the law of God. There's nothing that is, that is um, unlawful, illegal against God's word in this person's life. And that word true, it means more than just saying things that are factually correct. Truth in this context means that which is real, that which is solid, that which is weighty. These are the kinds of, of things that should characterize our life. People should be able to look at you and say, there's a good man. There's a righteous woman. There's a true child. The fruits of these things, which would include love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, anything else you can mention in the Bible comes under this category. These are the fruits of light, and therefore the fruit that should be born in the lives of the children of light. Now, how do we embrace those truths? If those are the fruits, how do we embrace them? What would it look like to cultivate those things in our lives? Well, Charles Hodges is helpful on this. He, he really says that whether we're talking about fellowship with darkness or fellowship with light, we, we have that fellowship in two ways. By delighting in things and by participating in things. So, so to have fellowship with darkness means that we delight in sin. Maybe we cultivate um, greed or pride. Maybe we cultivate materialism. Maybe we, we, we find satisfaction and joy in, in, in things that the Bible forbids. That's cultivating, embracing, having fellowship with the fruit of darkness. As children of light, though, we're called to, to step away from those things and instead to find satisfaction, to find joy, to find pleasure in that which is good, that which is right, that which is true. This is something that all of us can examine ourselves on, right? This passage should be a mirror that we, that we use to look at our hearts and to say, what do I delight in? 
Now, how do you know what you delight in? We're not always good at seeing our own hearts. Well, ask yourself, when do I find myself most excited? What makes my face light up? What, what, what keeps me up at night thinking about things? Where do I spend my time? Uh, in a few moments when we finish the sermon and the benediction is given and we stand up and we talk with one another, what do we talk about? Do we talk about movies? Do we talk about games? Do we talk about hobbies and work and summer plans and vacations? Things that are all good things, things that are all gifts from God, and yet they are not the center of our life. If people were to walk in and hear our conversations this afternoon or at the dinner table later on today or at the picnic in the park or maybe inside uh, tomorrow, what would they hear? What would they say these people are passionate about? where they say, wow, they talked a lot about Christ. They talked a lot about holiness. They talked a lot about God's Word. Their faces would light up when they, when they spoke about their walk with Christ. They seemed to really be intentional about these things. Or where they say, well, it's a, it's a bunch of really nice people. But they're into all sorts of things just like anyone else. Is there a difference? Is there a contrast? Do we delight in things that are different from the world? And not just delight, not just our affections, but our actions as well. Where do we spend the bulk of our time? Do we find it easy to find reasons not to come to, to church or to church events? Do we find it easy to find excuses to, to not spend time in God's Word? I know I've been very guilty of this. There are many times where you may have a week and you just say, man, it's just been so crazy. I've not really had time to kind of keep up my regular devotion or, or, or to have time as a family to gather around God's Word. And yet, I managed to find time to spend an hour watching Netflix every single night without really too much shuffling in my schedule. Because that's a priority. It shows where my affections are and my actions follow. Paul is telling us that as we look at our lives, our delight should be in the things that God delights in. This is what it means to imitate God, that we love the things that He loves, we hate the things that He hates, and so we pursue what He calls us to pursue. And verse 10 really gives us uh, just a helpful question to examine ourselves with. Paul says, Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, Paul really puts his finger right in the center of it here. Because, while we don't think in these terms, every single one of us, every single day, almost at every single moment, is asking and answering the same question. What do I want to do? What is pleasing to me? We, we, are, we are hardwired to think about ourselves. And in our kind of self-centered, um, comfortable culture, Everything in our lives pushes us to think about ourselves, to look out for ourselves, to, to grab hold of the things that we want. And so we, we live our lives in answer to the question, what is pleasing to me? Paul says, but you've been changed. When you were darkness, that made sense. But now you are light. And so you have a different question that you are answering. The question is not what is pleasing to me, what is pleasing to the Lord? That's what we focus on as believers. Rick Phillips helps us to think through this. He says, as we face choices or decisions, we should ask, would Jesus like this? Will this action, this word, bring glory to God? When we're about to speak, 
We should ask, if I say this, will Jesus be pleased? Will He be honored? Will this advance His kingdom and bear good fruit? Or will it tear down and destroy? This, then, is the standard for Christian conduct. Not what men will approve. Not what is acceptable according to the shifting morality of our time. Not even what our own seared consciences might allow or be comfortable with. The standard for us as Christians is this. What is pleasing to the Lord? That's what Christ calls us to. Do we delight in the things God delights in? Do we participate in the things that He calls us to participate in? Are we answering that question, what is pleasing to the Lord, more than we're answering the question, what is pleasing to me? There's much more we could say about that practice of embracing the light, but there's another aspect of walking as children of light, and that's what Paul mentions in verses 11 and 12. He says as well, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now this is a, an important thing for us to grapple with. Paul tells us to expose the works of darkness. And this is where it can get particularly uncomfortable. Because our culture is very comfortable with religious people like us gathering together to say, hey, we should live better lives. We should be kinder people. We should be more patient people. We should be more loving people. The world would say, good for you. That's what Christianity should be about. But then when Paul starts to say, well, it's not just about us as Christians living holy lives, but it's about taking those holy lives into the world. And living lives of love, yes, but love that exposes what is sinful and what is wrong. Now we're stepping into difficult territory. This is not a message that the culture likes. It's not a message that increasingly the church wants to focus on. But Paul sees this as central. If you live as a child who walks in the light, it doesn't just mean that you try in your own life to make yourself better. It doesn't mean just that you're cultivating patience and kindness and love. It means that you are in some way, through your life, through your words, through your witness, exposing the ungodliness, the unfaithfulness of unbelievers around you. That's a difficult message. But it's an important one for us to hear. And it's important for us to see what Christ is really commanding when He tells us to be people who expose deeds of darkness. Because I think where our minds probably go is um, to exposing those things with our words. right? So we see that, that God is calling us to, to describe the sinful things that the culture is doing and to denounce them. And there can be truth to that. God called His prophets, He calls His preachers to, to, to describe and decry the sins that characterize their society. Um, if we do not call sin, sin, we are not being faithful. Um, Paul, when he comes to think about the work even of government, secular government, says what they are commanded to do is to punish what is evil and reward what is good. And when you live in a society that mixes those categories and instead punishes what is good and, and rewards what is evil, you know you live in a time and a place of darkness. So that is part of what we are called to do, to speak truth and clarity about sin to
to the world. But the emphasis, I think, in this passage is not so much in us denouncing the world as it is exposing their deeds so that they can be brought into the light. Uh, let's think about it this way. Um, the, the first picture is maybe that of a prosecuting attorney who goes into your life, who makes a list of all of the, the rules you've broken, the crimes you've committed, and, and he brings those into the light in the courtroom so that the judge can say, I see what you have done. I see who you are. I see the sin and the crimes that you have committed. Here's the judgment. You're condemned. But that's not what Paul sees us doing here. What Paul sees us doing is less like a prosecuting attorney, less like a lawyer, and more like a doctor who sits down with someone and pulls out the x-ray to say, this is what you are inside. This is your true situation. This is dark. This is deadly. This is wrong. But there is change that can be brought. There is healing that you can receive. Paul sees our work of exposing as redemptive in some way. William Hendrickson put it this way. He said, Sin must be exposed. One is not being nice to a wicked man by endeavoring to make him feel what a fine fellow he is. The cancerous tumor must be removed, not humored. It's not really an act of love to smooth things over as if, as if the terrible evil committed by those still living in the realm of darkness is not so bad after all. We're not called to whitewash sin but rather to expose sin. So finally, why does Christ give this command? Why does Christ call us to walk as children of life, to be those who embrace the fruit of light, to expose the deeds of darkness? What's the purpose of all of this? Well, I think there are two purposes, and they're tied very closely together. Christ gives us this command to walk as children of light so that Christians might be conformed to Christ, and so that non-Christians might be converted to Christ. Christ gives us this command to walk as children of light so that Christians might be conformed to Christ and so that non-Christians might be converted to Christ. We said already that really this whole section is just unpacking, it's explaining what Paul means when he says, therefore, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the command that we have received. We are to become like God. We are to be in the light as He is in the light. Christ is described as the light. He is described as one who, who shines that light in the darkness. And He calls us to be light as well. And so through this process of daily, more and more, dying to self, dying to sin, living to Christ, we are being conformed more and more to Jesus. And just as He, in His light, brought us into salvation, so through us, He shines His light to bring others into salvation. Think about it. How were you brought into this place? How were you brought into the church? How were you converted? It was through the light of Christ shining on you, through the preaching of the Word, but also through the work and the witness of His people as well. Each and every one of us. Maybe it was from a preacher in a pulpit. Maybe it was from a parent in our home. Maybe it was a stranger on the street. Someone you had never met, but they spoke the word of Christ to you. And you saw the light of Christ shining in them, shining through them. And that drew you into fellowship with Christ. 
So what, what, what Paul is doing here is connecting our walk with our witness. This is very important. We've talked as a church about how we want to grow in evangelism, how we want to think about this even this summer as a church. And so it's worth asking the question, what does an evangelist look like? What kind of personality do they have? What kind of gifts do they have? When we think of an evangelist, we probably think of someone who's very extroverted. They can have a conversation with anyone, anywhere, about anything at any time. Right? They go to the grocery store, they talk to the... A bank teller, they go to the park, whatever it is, they're meeting people, they're talking to people, they have a boldness, right? They're not controlled by fear, as so many of us um, naturally are. Uh, they understand um, apologetics, they understand theology, they know how to answer a Mormon or a Muslim or a, uh, an atheist and just bring the gospel to bear strongly. Well, what's missing from that picture of an evangelist? There's nothing about their life. There's nothing about their holiness. There's nothing about their piety. Now we need to understand the gospel. We need to be able to answer the false claims of, of cults and, and religions and philosophies. That's part of why we have things like the class tonight on how do we answer Jehovah's Witnesses. But if we think being an evangelist just means you having these skills or these personality traits, we're missing something very important. Holiness of life. Faithfulness in our walk is key to our witness as well. Paul wants us to see that, that we will not be fruitful Christian witnesses if we do not have a faithful Christian walk. In other words, ordinarily, you will not lead people to Jesus if you don't look like Jesus. How many of us look like Christ? I don't mean physically, of course, but spiritually. How many people could read the gospel accounts and say, I know someone who looks like this. I've met this person. I've seen someone who has this kind of love. I've seen someone who has this kind of mercy. I've seen someone who has this kind of clarity and truth and boldness. Now, of course, all of us, even on our best days, with the most help of the Spirit, are going to look very different than Jesus. The point here, again, is not sinless perfection. Jesus has done what we can never do, and yet His work is not done. That's the point of this passage. He's continuing to work in our hearts, continuing to work in our lives, and He's working to conform us to Himself. And part of the purpose of that, as we see in verse 13, is so that light may shine on the darkness. Not to condemn it, that will happen at the final day, but to change, to convert Follow the logic of what Paul says here. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So we as Christians are called to, to walk in the light, to be lights that shine, to expose works of darkness. But as that, those works are exposed, they are drawn into the light. They themselves become visible. They, they, they themselves become, it says in verse 14, light. Now, Christ does not save by our good example, but He uses our lives, He uses our walk to bolster that witness. Therefore, it says, verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's why our walk can be powerful, not because our example is so good, but because through us, Christ shines. Now, this, this little quotation here is, is really drawing from different Old Testament texts. 
and pressing it home on, on, on the uh, New Testament believers. But one of the passages that Paul is probably drawing from is Isaiah 60, where Paul says this, Arise, shine. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to the people of God. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Do you see what, what God is saying here? Speaking to His people then, He's speaking to His people now. He's looking at Kirk of the Plains this small group of people gathered in a storefront in Andover, Kansas, and he's saying, Arise, shine, because the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. When we get the benediction every Sunday, we hear those words, don't we? For behold, darkness covers the earth. We see that very literally now. We see it spiritually every day. Our culture, our world is, is, is deeply confused about everything that matters. There's deep darkness, thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord shall arise upon you as God's people. And through you, His glory will be seen. And that light shining out will be like a beacon to which the nations will come and the kings to the brightness of your rising. So as we think about how to live as Christians, as we think particularly about how to bear witness as Christians, let's not miss this key element. Yes, let's study apologetics. Yes, let's, let's find ways of building relationships with unbelievers, of having conversations with non-Christians. But this is where it all begins and where it all ends. Am I walking as a child of the light? Am I walking in love? Am I walking in wisdom? Do I look like Jesus? Hear these words of Christ as we close. Jesus speaking to the Jews, people who were around the light but not yet in the light. He said this, The light is among you for a little while longer. So walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Amen. Please take a moment to meditate in silence on the word of Christ to you.